Cavalier fans, welcome back to this edition of the Believe in Cavs podcast, part of the Believe Network. I'm your host, Mike Angolano, and joining me, as always, I guess as always, it's kind of weird because it's only been two episodes now, but it is former NBA point guard, Derek Anderson, former Cavalier point guard, Derek Anderson. Uh, DA, how are you doing? I am great, man. I had a good weekend and ready to go. Yes. Did you have a good holiday weekend? Oh, yeah. I had a great week, weekend, everything. Every day is a holiday when you get to do what you love. So try to enjoy it every day. I think we should have a segment of uh, just, just a couple words of wisdom from you because that is a great disposition to have. It is always a vacation when you get to do what you love. Um, that's fantastic. Um, how was it down in sweltering Orlando? Sweltering. <laughs> <laughs> it's a different it heat fun. down there. Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah. It's normal. It was good. It was good. Good people. Good. Good. Uh, everything was fun. Fantastic. We are going to get to what DA was doing in Orlando later on in the podcast, but we do have some topics to cover since our last episode. A lot has happened in the NBA, and I'm sure that Kevin Durant will be traded as we're recording this because that's how this goes. Um, But a lot has happened, including the NBA draft um, and the Cleveland Cavaliers at 14 overall selected Oshi Agbaji out of Kansas. We talked about a lot of names, DA. We talked about a lot of different players that the Cavs could pick. Um, we didn't talk about Agbaji too much. I know he was kind of shoehorned to them uh, based on who was picked ahead of them. Uh, your guy, Johnny Davis, who you had talked about a lot on the last episode, had gone number 10 to the Washington Wizards. Um. Jeremy Sochan went nine, Dyson Daniels went eight. So that kind of left Agbaji. And then a big was taken in between both um, both of the spots before and after the Cavs picked. Um, but they did pass on a few guys. But So let's just go back to Agbaji. DA, how do you feel about the Cavs selecting Agbaji? Because I have a few thoughts, but I want to hear what you have to say first. Uh, I don't know if it was a future a pick for maybe a trade that is coming up uh, because the, the player is great. The fit is not what we needed. And I think that's the difference. I think the Cavs needed something different, uh, especially the benefit of having uh, so many solid point guards available. Uh, I think you could have got uh, a bigger athletic wing to compete with the like I said, the KDs, the Tatums, all those guys you're going to have to match up, uh, replacing them on the side. I think we needed more defense more than we needed uh, offense, and I think that that guard is more of an offensive uh, asset more than anything. I think I think a better, a bigger, a player, uh, wing player would have been uh, better suited for the Cavs. So not a bad pick, just a wrong pick. Yeah, Ugbaji, 6'6", 215 pounds from the University of Kansas, played very well and, you know, bet on himself as a junior. Uh, He could have come out and maybe been a second-round pick last year, but he decided to go back to Kansas, which is not common a lot for players. I feel like a lot of guys that, you know, especially at those blue-chip schools, um, they go to immediately leave after one year, most of the time. I know the NIL has kind of flipped that on its head a bit, but, you know, one of the Blue Bloods, big, big high-end schools like that, Agbaji went back to school, got a lot better his senior year and actually shot quite a bit better. Um, he is an offensive type guy. I was kind of surprised that they went for Agbaji. It's, it is a safe pick, in my opinion. Colby Altman may have been gunning for a safe pick. They were trying to move up. Reportedly, they were looking to move back. Reportedly, um, they passed on AJ Griffin, which a, a lot of teams did. Um, the Hawks ended up with him at 16. That that's who I would have picked. I would have also maybe look, maybe taken a look at Malachi Branham, who went 20. I think if you're to, if, if you're looking at upside, I think Branham provides upside to a position that Akbaji would already have. So he's and Kobe Altman said it in the post-draft presser that 
Agbaji was more of a finished product. And I think that's an interesting thing to say on draft night when, that he's more of a finished product. He is a good shooter. Um, he does need to fill out a little bit in, in some other areas, namely his dribble <clears throat> um, and in creating for himself. But um, I, I, I thought they passed passing on AJ Griffin and passing on Malachi Branham was interesting. Um, we talked a lot. Yeah, about but you got to think about this. But you also got to think about this when you say that there's his game is suited for the NBA where you don't need to have a lot of dimensions to your game. And I think that's what Kobe was trying to get at. Like, he knows he's got a solid player. When you say guys are leaving early, those guys are making their careers harder than what they have to be. And I think him going back to Kansas made his career easier because he's developed, he took his time, and now he walks into the NBA with an opportunity to play and not go to the G League and sit and try to figure it out and did a numbers right. game. They draft someone next year and they replace him. Right. You know, I think that. That, I think that's the difference. So I, I, I would uh, I would agree, I would disagree about him needing to work on his handles and things because if you can shoot and you can make a play, uh, this new NBA, it's, it's easier for you. You know, and I, like I said, when I walked to the NBA, it was, you know, Michael Jordan, Ray Allen, Kobe Bryant, like everybody had to play both ends. They got 100 different moves. Like now it's like pretty much if you can shoot and get past a guy just off a couple of dribbles, you're – you're a solid player, but him going back to school taught him how to think. And I think he's going to be one of those smart players that can make an impact from his uh, him going back to school. Definitely. And and Kobe did sort of walk walk it back because, of course, everybody on social media got it up, up in a tizzy that why would the GM, you know, go ahead and say things like that? He's more of a finished product. I think he's got a unique opportunity to come in and especially if they do trade one of you know, Dylan Windler or Jetty Osman, which seemingly mm-hmm. seems like it might happen. He's got a chance to come in and yeah. play immediately. Um, you're going to need that yeah. shooting right off the bat. Mm-hmm. And he's so, a good athlete. I think that's going to be even tremendous, even better. Uh, I think Griffith's a solid player. I think they were worried about maybe his injury again, but yeah. I think, I think about he's going to come in and play. I think he he's good enough to play. <laughs> Yep, I think so too. I and he's going to get an opportunity because if you're making shots, you're you're going to find your name being called some way somehow. Yeah. Um, so they did pass on Branham and Griffin. We talked a little bit about those guys as as well as a lot of EJ Liddell, who I was very unhappy that the Cavs continued to pass on time and time again in no. the late or I'm sorry in the early uh, second round, late first round. Um, he goes to the New Orleans Pelicans. Did you, how did, how did you feel about them passing on EJ Liddell? Cause I thought right there in the second round, they didn't even have to move up for him. He was sitting right there. They, they took um, Khalifa die out a center. He was sitting there at 39. Liddell went 41. What did you think about the second round? Because I have more questions about this than even the first round. They, they picked a couple of project players and then picked Evan Mobley's brother. Yeah, I mean, I, like I said, I felt like they were trying to do something with the trade value. Maybe someone else had said they wanted him for different reasons because there's no way this kid shouldn't have been, you know, picked higher. Even by other teams, other teams could have used him. I think what they're doing now is looking for more of a spread the court kind of guard. I'm not sure what they're looking for, honestly. <laughs> I just thought he's the, he's a perfect fit if you watch him play. He can get off the bounce. He's solid defensively. I just thought – I don't know. Uh, I really thought it was a four trade because you watch some of the guys get drafted earlier by the Knicks, then they traded them to Detroit, some of the, the, the big kids from Memphis. I think that they were looking – everybody was looking for a trade. Like once they got the top five to six, everybody felt like it was kind of an even shoot, uh, picking picking picks. So for EJ to go that far, I was very surprised. And there were a lot of teams – you know, as soon as they passed on him, I thought, oh, he's going to be right there. The Cavs could just nab him. The Lakers passed on him at 35. I thought that's kind of a Laker type of player. He's experienced. He could come in and play. Yeah. They passed him. Same thing with uh, the Kings, although I guess the Kings had already taken Keegan Murray. So, um, yeah. Same thing with the Blazers. I thought, oh, that's a team that wants to win. And then the Cavs get up there at 39, and they didn't And they didn't take him. They took Project Center, and that center is not playing in Summer League either, uh, as far as I know. So. Yeah. They take Isaiah Mobley at 49, Evan Mobley's brother, of course. He's going to take up a two-way contract slot, so you're probably not going to see too much of him. 
um, unless you're interested in watching the Cleveland Charge. Uh, and then with the 56 pick, they took Luke Travers, who is playing in the summer league, I believe. Um, but he is going to be a stash, uh, draft and stash type of guy. So I was I was like you, DA. I was waiting for a trade. I thought there's no way the Cavs would go out and get another second round pick if they didn't intend to package, you know, those three up yeah. and move up into the late first. I thought that was a for sure going to happen type of thing, but it it did not. It did not. Um, do you have any other thoughts on the NBA draft? Uh, I was uh, I was shocked as always. We're always shocked at the draft, and I think that basically a lot of the the, the general managers and, and the decision makers are looking financial before they even looking at talent. Because you look at talent, you know some of these guys are going to be there, and they, they can make your team better. But they a lot of them look at the value of the uh, players, and I think that's where we as fans and kind of out outside lookers we see well doesn't he fit there that wouldn't he help he would but he's going to probably be too much money he's going to be a player that you have to figure out is he going to fit in our cap in two to three years they're looking down the line um and like i said a lot of these guys say hey let's get the best we can for our for what we have and and don't worry about developing some of these kids i think a lot of people a lot of the gms are looking at it from a cap standpoint before talent so that was just my only take of it but you'll see it next year you'll see it for the rest of the rest of this time in the nba because a lot of teams have built their core around players and unless you're the top five after the top five usually they just kind of uh piece players together to see if it fits or not yeah that's a that's a really good point about the money type of deal because you know looking at it for us as fans and um uh, even more removed than you are. I mean, you're, you're still, you're, you are in the know um, and, and I've played the game and have, have a different sense, but a lot of us, you know, and, and the armchair GMs, you know, we don't, we don't see it in the money sense necessarily. Um, Cause you're definitely right. These GMs are looking at, am I gonna be able to pay this kid in three years when, you know, when his contract is up or, you know, things like that. Um and the Cavs are one of those teams that, you know, you look back on it and think, well, they actually can't pay another first round pick. They're they're skirting very close to the uh, hard cap uh, of the salary cap. And that I think that's why the Ricky Rubio signing has not gone through yet is they're working to create a sign and trade. Uh, they don't even have a roster spot uh, mm -hmm. They're Right now they have one spot left and it's for it's for Colin Sexton. So, I mean, I, ideally. So they wouldn't even be able to take on a non two way contract guy. And if you're, if you're drafting EJ Liddell, chances are uh, you're not going to let him sit in the G league or on a two way contract. You're going to want him to play and the Pelicans are going to want him to play. Um, so that's very, that's, that's an excellent point. These, these GMs have to be thinking about next year, the year after and the year after that as well. Yeah. Not, not just for uh, the immediate future. Um, I was surprised AJ Griffin fell the way that he did at injury um, history must be Michael Porter jr. Esque in scaring people off. Cause because AJ Griffin's very, a very talented player um, and to have him fall to Atlanta, who's made their own series moves. And I don't think it's done yet um, is a good get for them. You mentioned the Detroit trade. Um, I thought the Pistons had a great trade, or I'm sorry, had a had a great draft night. Um, yes. They 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 get Jaden Ivey, they get Jalen Duran. Um, they made a couple of good uh, undrafted signings, uh, you know, as well. They took on Kemba Walker's contract, and you know, were able to take on a few extra assets after that. So I thought they had a great trade. Who who won the or it's very hard to say who won the NBA draft after like a month, less, less than a month, but you know, who, who did yeah. you identify as some of the big winners of the NBA draft? I thought Detroit and uh, Orlando did really well. I think Detroit really did well because all the pieces they got, they're young. The players are actually going to bring energy. And if you watch Detroit play, I think their, their energy level wasn't always the same. Uh, I think they, they really made some good strides and, and I think, I think they'll be really good at the end of the year and probably next year. Um, but again, you can't tell until you see the guys actually fit into the system that they're in. Uh, I think Orlando's going to be good. Mm, I just think some of the fits were really, really rare. 
some of the players, you're going to have to see how they play in the summer league. And then you'll be able to tell if that NBA fits. Because they drafted some guys who couldn't even really score in nine, ten points, but they're really good defensive players. Are they a, are they a mm-hmm. rotation player or are they a development player? That's what I'm looking to see. Are they going to actually make an impact? Who who were some of those players that, that you were talking about there between fit and development? Well, it depends on which ones you want to talk about because, you know <laughs> – <laughs> when you go down to the fifth pick, you, I mean, I mean, seriously, because we didn't think Jabari Parker, I mean, Jabari uh, Smith would go where he went. He went third. He went third, yeah. Um, yeah, so when you think about uh, even the sh- uh, Shaden Sharp from Kentucky, like the Blazers got him, you know, is he going to be a replacement of a C.J. McCullough? Like, you just grabbed another two, a guard that can score and get on the wing, but, you know, you have Dame and you have uh, uh, Anthony Simmons' kids. Like, you got some guys that's already, like, go-getters at that position but i think he's a good player like does he go to the the, to the to the bench or does he become a three-guard rotation Um, you know he's he's a guy that i don't mean i don't mean to interrupt you he's a guy i think out of some of those other players around him or that went after him jeremy sochan dyson daniels johnny davis i think shaden sharp he's got the talent to be one of the three best players out of this draft um he was just such an unknown but he went to a team where you got two starters. It's already dynamic, right? But I think he's a tra- he's a more tradable player because he's more of an unknown, high upside. So if the Blazers were like, "Oh shoot," you know, <laughs> Damian yeah. Lillard's unhappy. You know, they also traded for Jeremy Grant. Um, yep. Let's try to get one more piece at the deadline. I think Shane Sharp's kind of a guy that because he can fit on the wing he can't play the two i think he can play the three seems that way you know he he might be a tradable type player but he's such a wild card mm-hmm. that's what i'm saying like you think about it, he he went at a at the number seven pick like you could have you could have got a lot of different players at that position but you can't even get a guy who's skilled who's a score like if you looked at everything yep. about him he's a flat out score so now you're gonna look at that and be like oh man i'm okay no, you're not. You're going to have issues with playing time. This guy can't have 20, and then you put, you know, you got one of your star players, uh, Simmons or, or Lillard, on the bench or not getting the ball. Like, how do you stop right. him if he's got a point? He's got, he's got a 10.4 quarter going. Are you going to take him out? You're going to go with three small guard lineups. You can't do that with, with, with certain teams. Yeah. yeah I, think, uh... <laughs> I think they're going to be different. Johnny Davis going to the Wizards, knowing that, uh, Bradley uh, Bill just got his extension. Uh, that might be a good fit. You know, Johnny learned from him, learned to get him open, like run the team, and he can score as well. So, I mean, you you really can't say who's going to do a lot, but I still think that, you know, Detroit got that, got the Jalen Duran guy I was speaking about. I thought he's going to be a very active player. Uh, I just see some of these guys going to be really, really good. Yeah. Oh, I do too. Um, I love the – like I said, I really love what the Pistons did. Getting Jalen Duran, they needed a big. Um, Isaiah Stewart's done, you know, well as a center, but I think they needed, a, you know, an actual big. Um, and Duran's young; he's only eighteen, uh, but six ten, two fifty. He's going to be a monster, but he's going to take time. He, uh, to me, he's one of those development players who I don't think is going to spend that much time in the in the G League because they're going to have an immediate need for him. But he's going to take a little bit more time to get get going now yeah. last question on the draft and then we'll move on to free agency so paulo ben carroll went one we didn't really talk about uh, uh him as the number one overall pick we were both kind of like yeah jabari smith he's me the number one pick it makes the most sense jabari falls two spots paulo and it was very weird i don't know if you're into betting very much but in the middle of the night like two two three o'clock in the morning you know, you had all these sports books. All of a sudden, Paolo Bancaro was the betting favorite to go one. And he thought, what the heck happened at 3 o'clock <laughs> in the morning in Las Vegas to have Paolo go number one? So he goes number one. The fit with Orlando, do you have any thoughts on that fit with Orlando? I mean, we both kind of said Orlando needs to take the best player available. They just need somebody to score, somebody to just put points on the board. They have their pick of anybody. Um, what do you think about the fit of Paolo in Orlando? Because I think it's fascinating how overnight he went from going to Houston to going to the Magic. Yeah, and I think whoever was going to Orlando is what I'm telling people is going to be the rookie of the year because they need him to score. I think if you could have put 
Jay Nivey in Magic, and they would say, you go score. You know what I mean? I think they're looking for a size differential in scoring because they got Suggs, and I just think they're looking for that. I think that whoever goes going to Orlando is going to actually win the rookie of the year. And it could have been Jabari. Um, it's just because they're going to need him to produce immediately and his volume of shots will be there. You know, if you, if you score five points a quarter, that's 20 points a game. Whoever's going to Orlando as a number one pick, they're going to need you to score five points a quarter. So it's one of those things. It just, it just fits. But I think he's a good player. I think he's going to do really well. Um, I just noticed that they, when they told him about him losing all that, uh, all this weight every game, he's always cramping up. I think that was gonna that's gonna help him uh, once he gets his diet and everything together. It's gonna help his game improve. And he's already a tremendous talent, so I'm looking forward to watching him play. But Jabari Smith would have been the same way. He would have been those guys just putting those numbers up, NBA ready game type. So he, he he's gonna do really well. Yeah, I I think having Paolo or whoever would have gone to Orlando as the the favorite to win the rookie of the year. I thought, yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. They are going to ask a lot out of him um, throughout the whole year. They really are. And, you know, he was kind of, I don't want to say he was a bad defender. He was a spotty defender at Duke, but you know, the translation between college and, and NBA, do you think, you know, obviously being in a, at a, at a blue at a blue blood and then going to the NBA, is there, what sort of learning curve exists as a player? Like what's the biggest learning curve going from college to the NBA? Is it on the offensive end, the defensive end? Is it all the stuff in between? Well, well, it's always the stuff in between because you got to translate your game and your mindset. Um, but also it depends on where they, they draft you at because you look at Monte Ellis when he was at Golden State. Wasn't he like an all-star? Look at the numbers he was putting up. And when he left, we barely heard about it. You know right. what I'm about? Like, uh, yeah, so you got to – if these guys get to go to the right situation, their careers could change. But I went to a situation where even me, like we went to – I went to a situation where I had to pass to Sean Kemp. Uh, we had three rookies on the team. Uh, so we were a learning process. But when you get to just get thrown into the fire, you get to learn, but you get to go, and it doesn't matter where you what school you came from. You get the opportunity. But your mindset has got to be like, hey, I have to develop what this, this game is. Because back when we played, it was more about both sides of the ball. So if I had to come in and play defense, if I got drafted, it's because I played defense and I could score or I could shoot, I could do something. You know, but you had to play hard defensively. And I think that's the difference now. It's like if you can score, they'll let your defense go by the wayside. and be like, oh, he's an average defender at best, uh, or not even bring it up. <laughs> and now right. it's like it's yeah. like you can shoot, you can score, you can do something tangible. Uh, your one dimension in NBA now is very needed. And I think it's, it's easier to get guys to really, really good at one thing. They'll keep them. And I think that's the difference in the NBA now, but I think it's, it's amazing to see some of these guys who do have it all because you love seeing a guy who's actually developed his mind and his game while he's at college and playing at a blue blood is basically, it's no different than playing in any other school. Now, only difference is you got a lot of limelight, like every game you're going to have on TV, mostly, That'll be about it, the pressure games. But you think about everything else? Nah, because you got guys who are going to Kentucky leaving and one and done, and they don't make it. You got guys that's going to North Carolina and Duke, one of, you know, the five-star players that don't make it. It's so much talent out there now that everything is almost equal where all the top players are not going to the, all the Blue Bloods anymore. They're going to regular schools. They're staying home. So you literally, you literally could be on a Blue Blood and lose to – you know, a, a team that doesn't have any four or five stars on it because of the guys are staying two, three, four years. And now you're losing to a bunch of older guys who know how to play. So for a, for a guy like Agbaji and and the Cavs, as a – put yourself in like a in like the GM's shoes uh, or a scout or talent evaluator. When you see a guy who comes back for a senior season, foregoes the, the draft, goes back to school, hones his skill on something, you know, I know it carries weight differently for, for everybody. And Agbaji was NCAA tournament. You know, he was the player of the tournament, won a championship at Kansas. That was his going out party. Doesn't get much better than that. Um, What, what, what does that show you as a scout evaluator? See a guy who knows that, Hey, age is going to be taken into account. I mean, Agbaji is only like a month or two younger than Darius Garland. I think just made $190 million. What is that? How, how does that factor in? 
um, seeing some somebody go back to school and, you know, bet on themselves. When you say when when they go back to school and they can actually play and you see that they have a little flaw, that means they're chasing success and they're not chasing fame. That's what's wrong. A lot of these kids, there's 60 draft picks. There are kids who know they're not going to be drafted, but they'll still come out. Like they're chasing fame. They're not chasing the, the dream of playing the NBA. Because if you know you're tra- tra- uh, chasing the dream of playing the NBA and you know you're not getting drafted 60, that's not a that's not a dream. I'm not, I don't want to go struggle. It's like no one wants to wake up and say, yeah, I'm ready to go struggle in life. No, you're going to give your best opportunity to not struggle to get an NBA. And a lot of the guys are chasing fame. It could be for various reasons. But if you're chasing that direction to, to not develop, you know, I think that's the difference. So if I was a GM and he went back like an Oscar Sheway at, at Kentucky, I, he, he won player of the year. He says, okay, I don't have a good jump shot yet. I got to work on my footwork. I mean, my, my dribbling a little more because I'll probably be a four man. Like Draymond Green would destroy him if he dribbled past. You know, I think he understood what he had to go back for, even though he had all his accolades. Therefore, I know he's not chasing fame. He's chasing success. And that's what I would be looking at guys going back. Why did he go back? You know, where did he transfer or did he go back to the same school? Does he want to get better? Is he just chasing the championship? He's chasing to be on a blue blood team. What is he going back for? Any general manager to see a kid goes back, he understands he's not chasing fame. Because most of these kids are literally, I mean, you look at un- underclassmen came out this year, I think it was like 134 underclassmen that, that tried to come out from colleges, JUCOs, uh, overseas. And I'm like, you all know it's only 60 picks. And you're going against some guys who are seniors, some guys who are in the G League. Like, you know you're not getting picked, but you're still coming out. What would that be for? I think if you're a general manager, you have to look at these kids' mentality because they'll get to the NBA and they not work as hard as they should because they've, they've been chasing the, uh, the fame and not the success. Yeah, that's that's definitely a very difficult balance as, as a young man to have to, you know, look yourself in the mirror and say, yeah, I, I'm missing out on this. Because if I was a player of the year, I mean, you look at player of the year in, in NCAA, I mean, Luca Garza was just the player of the year for Iowa, and he couldn't find a landing spot with the Pistons, and, you know, he's out. Um, so you look at, you know, there is more to the game, and it takes a big person to look at the deficiencies that they have or just the shortcomings and decide, yep, I got to go back. And I, I know that, you know, maybe I've accomplished more than I ever could could have dreamed of, but I'm still missing that one thing that's going to set me apart from another player. So I got to go back and I got to and I got to work on it. Um, I okay. This is actually be the last question. Then we'll get on to free agency. The G League Ignite. They have had I think a top ten pick the last three years now. Dyson Daniels uh, going eight. I think secured that. What are your thoughts? Because this is a relatively new thing. What are your thoughts on the on the G League Ignite idea as a whole? Because it is very different, and it is a it is a novel idea. Um, you had mentioned some some kids not going to school at all. They go overseas. Um, they go to the G League Ignite now, or they're like Shane Sharp. They just don't play, and they and they you know train on their own. What what about the G League Ignite? Um, well, I guess, what are your thoughts on, on, the, on that model of the G League Ignite as an alternative to going to colleges? Do you think it's better, worse? It's all, it's all opinionated. It's like anything. So you go to a blue blood, you go to a regular school, it's all opinionated. So I couldn't give you a real answer because everybody's drive is different because every kid is different. Uh, like, think about it. Michael Jordan is the greatest, one of the greatest players that ever played. He's my favorite, my great, it's the greatest to me. But if you look at it, his children didn't maximize his same work ethic. They didn't make it the same level of, of professionalism he did. But look what Steph Curry did. He surpassed his dad. You know, I mean, Clay Thompson is doing, you know, pretty much a little, one more than his, his dad, uh, Thompson from the Lakers. So, I mean, you, you just have to look at every kid's drive is different. So the, so the G League Nike, like you don't, you don't have to per se that's the platform that makes them better. It's the kids. If the kid really wants it, man, whatever platform he goes to, he'll excel because he's focused on getting better. He works hard and he, he learns the game. So I don't look at the platform as a whole so, source of why they make it. I just look at the kids, the kids that really want it. Like I said, they're not chasing fame. Like even if it's just a different variety of saying, hey, I don't want to go to college. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that. But I really want to play. It's a platform that they're giving them. 
and therefore they're taking advantage of it. Because they, there's a lot of people that, that try to go to these the G leagues and it's not, and it doesn't work out. So I don't think I think we focus on some of the good ones that. But if you look at some of the ones that don't make it, the odds are always against the guys that don't make it. Uh, the numbers say that a lot of it's harder to make it that way. You know, because you go to college, guess what? Everybody's watching college. Everybody doesn't watch the G League. All the scouts maybe see you sometimes. They'll watch you. But what if you're not having a good game? Then they don't come back and watch you that game. Where in college, they watch you consistently throughout the year. And I think that's a variation right. of it. You know what I mean? There, there's just variations of, of seeing players play. And uh, the scouts can see you play more in college. They see, hey, you develop, you play here. And uh, it just depends, man. Like I said, the platforms are there. It's all up to the kids. So I would never say one of them is better for the other. Oh, yeah, yeah. I don't think one one is better than the other for sure. Um, more of, I guess, like as as a young man, and it's and you're, you're right, it's independent for everybody. Playing against other G League, you know, you're, you're playing against professional players in the G League. You know, some people want to say, oh, it's the G League. No, those are still professional players, and um, they're still very good. You know, is it is there any advantage to playing against other college players? If you go to college, you play against you know your Santa Claras, your St. Marys. You know, maybe not the highest end. A difference in quality of opponent that maybe impacts you is is more of what I was looking at. Yeah, well, it could, it could impact you, but again, when's the youth like who's the top picks in every draft? All college players, right? Yeah. That's all I'm going off of <laughs> until I mean, they show me something different. Seems like a winning argument to me. <laughs> you can't, can't, can't argue with the stats. Against, you can't. I mean, you had Jay, uh, Jalen got drafted number two last year. And then this year, uh, Dyson and those guys, I mean, they're later. But college is just an opportunity to be seen more. That's all. That's my only thing. It's like I just think it's the opportunity. If you go to college, you get an opportunity to play. And, again, these are grown men in the G League. So if you're not able to survive that, this is what they do every day. They lift weights, play basketball all day long. They don't have class. They don't have anything. That's all they're doing is working on their game. So if you right. come into it and you're not ready, you're going to get exposed and you're going to look different than you would in college. Okay. I think that's really great insight. That's 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 really, really good insight. Um, just to wrap up, of course, the Cavs, they took O'Shea Baji 14th overall. He's already signed his rookie contract with the Cavs. Free agency is ongoing, and I continue to have my phone up just in case something massive happens, because <laughs> uh, that's how it's been seemingly. And uh, in addition to Ekbaji, the Cavaliers also took Khalifa Dai off a center. He will be a draft and stash guy. You might not see him for a few years. They took Isaiah Mobley, who you will see if you're a fan of the Cleveland yeah. Charge. They play at the Wolstein Center in Cleveland. Um, you know, there's something to be said about taking Isaiah Mobley, grabbing Evan's brother, you know, you have a transcendent superstar in Evan Mobley. I think having his brother around, I, I, I think it means something. Some people looked at it like, well, he's not going to play. He's a power forward. You know, he's not going to probably crack for many minutes this year in case, you know, unless there's an injury. Yeah, there's still something to be said that, you know, Evan Mobley's brother is just down the street playing for the Cleveland Charge. Uh, and then they drafted Luke Travers, who was an overseas player from Perth. He is another draft and stash player. You're not going to see him at all this year uh, either. Okay, that was the NBA draft. It was hectic. There were lots of trades. That bizarre Pistons trade, I, I, I it has not been announced yet. So there's still <laughs> something happening. Um, right. I, I, I can't wait to see what it actually looks like. I was confused. Uh, I think uh, Woj and Shams were also confused as they were tweeting it because they were not exactly sure what was happening. But let's get into free agency, which is ongoing because we're pretty much at a standstill until Kevin Durant makes a decision on if he's going to approve of a trade or not from the Brooklyn Nets to wherever. It looks like Phoenix, but to wherever it goes. Same thing with Kyrie Irving. That's all in a total total standstill. Um, but other teams have still been getting their free agency moves on, including the Cavs. They have reportedly agreed to re-sign point guard Ricky Rubio, three years, $18 million. He was, of course, traded this past during the season to the Indiana Pacers for Karis LeVert, as well as that protected first-round pick that maintained uh, being on the Cavs due to their inability to make the playoffs. Uh, but Ricky Rubio coming on back. The Cavs also signed center Robin Lopez, who spent last year with the Washington Wizards. That's a one-year veteran 
minimum contract. Let's just start there for just a minute. Um, Ricky Rubio, who is going to be out for a while, he tore his ACL, which prompted the need for the Cavs to move on from him. He's probably not good to go till January. Um, I believe he's torn that knee now twice. I believe it's twice. Um, DA, you've had some knee injuries. What, what is that? What is that like? Well, I tore both my knees in college. I tore my left ACL when I was a sophomore and my right ACL my senior year. But when I played in the NBA, I never heard him again because I was doing pool workouts. I was doing stabilization. I wasn't doing 600 pound deadlifts and <laughs> 500 pound squats. Like that was ridiculous. You're straining right. your knees. You know, yeah. I think when people, everybody's body's different, you need to maintain. I did a lot of calisthenics. I did a lot of pool work, everything that kept the tendons strong, but kept all that pressure from grinding. I could jump high, but because of the grind, it made your knees. So after I got to the NBA, I never hurt my knees again. And I think that was a difference. You know, people might fall on them or something like that, but no, that, that I think what these young guys now are doing, they're doing so much wear and tear on their legs. They're, they're forgetting the, the basics of, uh, Rehab. Why do you think people do rehab? It's to get back healthy, right? So that's all I did for my next year is just do rehab and just stay healthy that way. And I yeah. think Ricky situation is he's got to he's got to find somebody who actually knows his body. Ricky's not a jumper. Ricky needs to keep his lend, his tendons and all of that because he's a north, south, east, west guy, but he's not up in the air guy. And I think that's when he's tearing his knee up. He's not balanced and something's off with his hips and alignment. And it could be, you know, if it's genetics, then that's one thing. But I think he's such a smart player that if he knew how to move around a little bit better, it might help him. You never know. I mean, injuries are mysterious. You know, Grand Hill having his injury, even Yao Ming having – I mean, it's just it's just things you can't foresee. But I think Ricky coming back will be uh, will be sufficient if he can keep his knees – I think he'll be, he'll be fine once he gets solid again. So they did sign Raul Neto in the interim to sort of be that stopgap. At least I think he's going to be the stopgap from start training camp to whenever Ricky Rubio is good to come back. Um, but he, that, that, I mean, that could be the end of January. And like you said, injuries are different for everybody. Recovering from an ACL is different from one person to the next. Um, Ricky was very good last year. Um, the Cavs were significantly better with him on the court than they were off and him plus Derek, or I'm sorry, plus Darius Garland on, on the floor was one of the best sets of lineups that you could put out there. The Cavs were, you know, plus 9.2 points or something uh, with Rubio on the floor than him off. That was second highest. Darius Garland was a plus 13. Um, so he was very important to, to the success. And the Cavs were one of the best teams in the NBA uh, in their plus minus with those guys all healthy. So with him not being able to be ready to go till probably January and everyone's been happy on social media, Kevin loves getting married to his, you know, his fiance, but he still find time to go on Instagram and talk about Ricky Rubio's that should speak volumes, um, you know, to how much he's loved uh, on this team. You know, it's hard to quantify or it's, or it's, it's, it's hard to see when you're a fan um, what a guy means in a locker room. Yep. And, you know, yeah. you think, oh, he's a good locker room guy. It's like, well, what does that mean? What does it mean to be a good locker room guy? Well, it means just where guys can appreciate you and they'll listen to you. You know, sometimes you'll have guys and say, hey, man, let's go party. And then you look up while your players are all tired because a veteran didn't tell them don't go out the day before a playoff game. <laughs> I right. think you look at you look at guys like that. He'll tell them what to do and what not to do. And they'll respect him because he's he's gained their trust. When you gain someone's trust, if you had a coworker or you had a boss that was really cool, gave you days off, but then when he told you to get to work, you don't mind doing overtime for him because he know you gave your day off. And, you know, you have a good locker room leadership guy, a good locker room guy. He'll always tell you guys when you're right, but he'll always reward or, or compliment you and help you out, you know, when you're doing well, when you're not doing well. You really need people like that, veteran guys. Without veteran guys, who's going to be the leader? Imagine if you had everybody in your locker room was under 24 years old is anybody going to tell you what to do? I mean, like tell you some veteran leadership. Right. They haven't been through enough. You need people who've been through the, through the grind to tell you, Hey, I learned from my, learn from my mistakes and don't do what I did. I think you need those guys. And Ricky's one of those guys, like he's been unselfish his whole career. You know, he's, he's been a great leader, a great floor general, you know, try to make teams better. Uh, 
and I think everyone respects that from any good character guy where he's he's actually doing what he says he's, he's going to do. And I think that matters a lot because a lot of people don't recognize they don't have a good uh, locker room guy until they don't have a locker room guy. <laughs> that's very true. That's that's very, very true. Um, when you were coming into the league, you know, because you figure Abaji's going to have a you know fairly big role, and there's a lot of good vets on the Cavs right now. I mean, Kevin Love has turned into a much better vet than than what he was maybe at the beginning of this uh, rebuild. You added Robin Lopez, who's been around the block several times. He's you know he's he's been here and and done it. When you were breaking into the league, who who was that guy that you know in the locker room that you know that you were able to turn to um, that kind of commanded the room when he was in it. Um, sort of provided that, you know, really adult in the room type of presence because, uh, you know, Abaji's going to, he's going to have some tough moments. He's going to have some tough games. Um, when you're a young guy, that's, that stuff's invaluable. So who was that, who was that vet for you when you were breaking into the league? Well, what you guys, a lot of people fail to remember, remember when we were coming out, most guys went to school for four years, even that's three true. or four. Yep. So now you walk into a locker room, you walked into a locker room where guys are a little more, more settled, understanding what they're doing. Like mine was Mitchell Butler from UCLA. Solid dude, been a captain on his team, had a great team, had some other pros on his team, but he knew how to lead other players, even though he might not have been the star player. You know, you had uh, those type of guys that I knew um, that were, you would come in and they'd be like, hey, this is what we're going to do. Stay focused. Come on, young guys. Um, and I think that's a significant part. We had guys who have been in college who have become captains on teams as juniors and seniors. So when they got to the NBA, they weren't sales shocked. They'd be like, oh, my God, what's all this? They had already been leaders before they got to the NBA. They just continued on. They've learned to speak up. They weren't shy. They weren't quiet. They weren't sitting back. They had already become leaders. And uh, mine was Mitchell Butler. Uh, he was always a guy that just always said, hey, we're going to go to work, get some extra work in. We're going to stay focused. We're going to do some of these things. Uh, Danny Ferry did it with some of the other bigs. With you, uh, was it Dronis and uh, Vlatati, uh, Vlatati Potapinko. Um, we had a different variety. And Sean Kemp was a, was a leader in his own right, but he would always tell us, make sure we play hard. You know, he, he had his own uh, thing because he just came from Seattle. But he was an older guy. We just had guys who went to school most of the time that like for four-year guys. So they came into it with the, with the veteran mindset. Yeah, those are, uh, it, I mean, Z is loved here in, uh, in Cleveland. Mm -hmm. And uh, st I, I believe still does some work with the organization. I, I believe he's still in the area if, if I'm not uh, mm -hmm. mistaken, yeah. if I'm not yeah. mistaken. Yeah. Those, uh, those Cavs years were, Hey, I liked Sean Campbell a lot. He's one of my favorite players. Um, but those, those, those were some good years. Those were some fun years. Um, I do remember Mitchell Butler. Um, I'm quite a bit younger, but I, I uh, strive to be a student of the game. But I do remember Mitchell Butler. Um, yep. Good player. Solid player. Good defensive guy. And, again, yeah. he was a locker room guy. A lot of people don't know, but he was a locker room guy. We had four freshmen, four rookies, and three of us were guards, and he was the one who kept us together. I, I believe he's an agent now. Oh, yeah. If, yep, I, if I'm not mistaken, yeah. I believe I he's an so, agent yeah. now, yeah. Yep. He should be. He's a leader of men. He's a leader of young men. He can help him become better men. And that's that's invaluable. I mean, it's the stuff that doesn't appear on – a stat sheet. And, and, you know, even during a game, you know, a close game, I mean, there were times where you would see the Cavs not last year, the year before where they, they'd be in a tight game. They were just too young and they would, they would blow it. You know, they would lose. They're, they're a young team, Colin Sexton, young Gary Scarlett's on your, your backcourt is, you know, can't, it isn't even old enough to drink yet, basically, you know, and you're asking them to go and, you know, close out, you know, a road game against anybody. Um, but you have that veteran guy, during a game too, you know, it's probably the same deal, right? You know, a vet that's on the floor with the young guys, like, all right, here's how we're going to close it out. You know, that sort of things probably still persists, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. So, yeah. you know, having Rubio on there to be able to orchestrate the offense, you know, get everybody organized. A lot of these young guys have Mobley, obviously super young. 
uh, you know, as, as well. And they were trying to fill in Colin Sexton with Brandon Goodwin, who's also been around the block, but he's a really young guy too. And, you know, trying to orchestrate things to get it under control. You know, what's, what's the, what's the impact of Rubio or a vet on the court as, as well as off the court? It's, it's, it's probably a lot of the same, right? Yes, yeah, it's a lot of the same. So if he comes out where say you're down 15 points in the fourth quarter, he doesn't look up and just get it starts pouting. He looks up and say, "Hey guys, keep fighting, keep learning from this, get better. It's not over yet." That simple comment can make people be like, "Okay, let me keep fighting," as opposed to like, "What you doing, man? Why don't y'all do this?" Now you got the coach yelling, you got the fans mad, you got your game not going well. It's like everything is negative. When you get a veteran guy telling him to keep fighting, it teaches character. And when you teach that type of character, I think that's what happens. A lot of guys learn and say, hey, if we do do this, we some good come out. You're not going to – you got 82 games. And at the end of the season, you've learned how to fight at the end and you can do some amazing things when you get in the playoffs. That's what I think a lot of people don't realize. Like, if you can keep fighting through it, getting through it, you can be – you can surprise yourself because you believe more in yourself. So veterans like that, you need to have those guys on the court, even if they're injured. Him being injured but coming up to the bench, talking to some of the players, keeps them calm. And they hear his voice more than they hear a coach yelling. And I think that's a big significant difference when you have a veteran like him. That's a great point, too. You know, sometimes you need a coach on the court, um, mm. be able to drive it like that. I mean, this is the same sport, but, you know, Peyton Manning is regarded as, you know, an offensive coordinator that's under center. You know, you really don't need – you know, he, he knows the playbook much better than the offensive coordinator does. And he can look at an or uh, look at a defense and, you know, just – flip things in an instant if he needs to. And, you know, to have a guy on the court with you, uh, you know, who's able to provide those coach level critiques, advice, things like that. It's, it's invaluable. Ricky Rubio will be invaluable to the Cavs once he is able and healthy to come back. Um, it right now, it looks like there's going to be a mix of Sexton, Raul Meadow and Karis Levert to handle the playmaking duties in his stead until they can get their full rotation back. Speaking of the backcourt, Darius Garland received his payday, a five-year, $193 million maximum designated rookie contract. Could be worth as much as $231 million. It's the biggest deal in Cavaliers franchise history. Cavs locked him up after an all-star season. He was fantastic last year. He grew in pretty much every sense of the word. Uh, right there in front, of, in front of everyone's eyes. And, of course, all-star games in Cleveland, so he gets to play in front of his home crowd. Um, Jared Allen also made the all-star game. Uh, signed to a, like I said, five-year, $193 million contract extension. That's a, that's a mind-boggling amount of money. Um, I've had the pleasure to talk to Darius. He's a very humble guy. He's a very nice guy. Um, he is he has been worth that to the organization in leading them to the next edition of the playoff Cavaliers, which the Cavaliers haven't made the playoffs without LeBron since 1998, maybe not 1995. It's been a long time. It's been a long time that they made the playoffs without LeBron on the roster. Um, to me, looking at this contract extension, I mean, they had to get it done. Zion Williamson made a, very similar large extension that could earn him, you know, as well as DA $231 million, or I'm sorry, as DG $231 million. Um, what are, what are your thoughts on the Darius Garland, you know, extension? Uh, I think it's, I think it's something that they, they see a value in him. And I think his leadership and his development now came along with guys being hurt. And I think they see a future in how he can and run the organization and run the team. You know, again, I don't I don't know what they see in the value as far as financially, but as a player, great player, great leader. I think he's going to be exceptionally well. He's going to help the team. And I don't see I don't see him being any issue. I think he's going to be a great player to have to lead the franchise. And and again, he's a solid locker room guy. So I think that always comes into play as well. Yeah, he is a. He's a like I said, he, he's a very humble person. Um, had like I said, I had the pleasure to talk to him. He's more than open, you know, answering questions. He's wants to talk about, you know, his favorite restaurants in the area. He wants to talk about what it means to, you know, be playing in the all-star game in front of the fans and how that's different and, you know, compared to any other city. Um, so I, I agree. I think he's, he's going to be worth that money. Um, you've locked him up. You've locked up Jared Allen. They are, I think going to be locking up Colin Sexton here. 
shortly in the next few days. Um, they're going to have Evan Mobley for a while and then lock him up as well. So, you know, you've got your core now signed long-term and now you can start building around it. Um, he started to, you could see it while he wasn't injured um, necessarily. Did he, he did have a lingering back injury after the all-star break that kind of looked kind of weird because the, the Cavs came out and immediately lost to the horrible Pistons right after the all-star game. And you thought, Oh no, what the heck just happened? Um, but you could see that without Ricky Rubio, without Colin Sexton, if the Cavs did not have Darius Garland on the floor, it was going to be a long night. It was going to be a long night. You didn't have anybody to orchestrate offense. Brandon Goodwin did his best. He had some good games, but it's not Darius Garland. And it, doesn't strike fear the same way that he does um, in opposing teams. So I think having Sexton back, having Karis Levert, who had a very difficult um, tenure after he was traded from Indiana, he did not shoot the ball particularly well. His free throw rate was pretty low. He didn't get to the line like he normally did. You know, having DG locked up, more importantly, having backup point guards, backcourt guys who can hang and not force him to be on the ball constantly allow him to play off the ball uh will hopefully preserve him for for the yeah. long run yep yep because you can't you just can't have him handling the ball every time you know he's not a heliocentric type a luka Doncic, a kate cunningham type where the, if the ball's not in his hands the offense is a complete train wreck i don't the Cavs don't want to operate like that they, they've operated like that you know 15 years on the last 20 with lebron <laughs> I don't think they want to do that anymore. I think they want to have other guys. So yeah, yeah. hopefully he will stay healthy, be worth that. Um, but a 193 mil is a lot of – that's that's a difficult to fathom amount of money. Um, this just the way that it goes now in the league. Yep. Um, yeah. we'll, we'll see what happens. I think we'll they're – gonna, they're going to figure out what they're paying for, and I think it's going to be interesting to see. It's, 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 it's definitely going to be interesting. Um, so as, as we get set to wrap up this podcast, you know, free agency is constantly, uh, evolving and guys are getting moved, um, or those discussions are happening in the background consistently. Um, even right now there's talks of Kevin Durant being traded, um, I don't want to talk about that too much as, you know, by the time this is edited and comes out, he could be totally gone from the Brooklyn Nets entirely. But um, I want to talk about your time um, in Orlando and some of the things that you were doing um, while, you know, working essentially, you know, um, being spending time down there with rookies. Um, Do you want to talk a little bit about what you were doing in Orlando? Uh, yeah, I was up with the top 100, and uh, it was good. They had the high school kids who have been working on their games. Uh, what I did was teach them the, the mental part of how to pre- prepare for life in order to get what you get out of basketball. I talked to some of the parents about decision-making, how their actions can create reactions with their children that affects their draft, their game, everything like that. Um, and I, and I had a good time. I think a lot of the young guys or some of these players, like the first time I went a few years ago is when I had Zion Williamson and I saw them guys develop, saw them playing, and they were really playing well. But they all had a motor, and that's what I like. Some of these kids nowadays, they don't have that same motor, and some have great motors, and I love watching the competitiveness of each other. And I think that was the separation. These guys, these kids down there, they competed really hard because they knew they were amongst the best of the best. And I think that really made a great time. I uh, got to mentor them. Talk to them. We had guys who were in our own suites. We talked to them at, at, in the mornings, talked to them in the evening time about preparation, life preparation, speak to people, all that stuff matters. So it was very, very receptive. They were very receptive of, of our programming. And uh, it was a very good time to be down as kids. So I'm, I was excited. And how long were you down there for? Uh, for a week, down there Monday to Saturday. Saturday. Okay, a full week. So, um, what sort of well, like preparing for life is there's a lot to it. You know, what are, what are some of the things that you really hone in on when, when you're talking to a young man? Cause you, you have a, you know, a background that is unique and 
you know, has, has been through the ups and downs, you know, what are the things that you hone in on when, when you're talking to these young guys? Cause I know that, you know, being a kid, <laughs> it's hard to take in what an adult is telling you and synthesize it, understand it, and then you know, act, act on it. So, so how, how do you get through to some of these kids and, and, and what are your main points of emphasis when you're talking to them? Well, everybody's different. Some kids are shy. Some kids are lively. Some kids are kind of in between. Um, but you always gravitate to what there are. And I bring that same volume that they, they like and can receive. I bring that volume. But my words don't ever change because if I gave you a million dollars to give you to, to whatever you want to do in your life, would you do it? And they'd be like, yeah, I would do what I need to do. I say, well, what you need to do is X, Y, and Z. So I need you to... Sp- speak up i need you to be a little more demanding. i need you to do this i need you to play hard but i also need you to stay focused don't let your emotions get the best of you so i'll give him some tests throughout the day and say hey man uh i don't really like your shoes he's like oh it's okay don't worry about it as opposed to man why you saw say that so i give them examples and i kind of role play with them i mess with them throughout the day and then they're like oh i see your point you're trying to get me riled up i said that's what people do to you when you're on top people always try to take you down even in sports and life I said, you have to start building your mindset about how to, to face those things and know that they don't matter to you. What matters most is you stay focused on who you are. And once I start doing role play, the guys be like, oh, I get it. That was a good one. Like they start to gravitate to me and they enjoy me as a, as a former player, but also as their coach mentor at the time. And, and, and it works for them. Yeah, they'll be lucky if the worst thing that somebody says to them on the court is, hey, I don't like your shoes. <laughs> yeah they but you got it they got to be tough to yeah yeah you say stuff to them that really resonates like man you you terrible man you can't hit the shot your jump shot's weak you can't do this you sure. can't do it like and, and you should learn how to block that out because that's what the fans are going to do on social media that's what people are going to do like you have to learn to block things out yep you're going to get a lot of um stimuli from all these different areas. And now with the onset of social media, having such a tight hold, you know, over a lot of these, a lot of these kids, um, you know, that's just another barrier that has to be overcome again. You know, you're going to be having trash talk on social media. That's just how things are going to be in addition to the encore stuff too. Um, that's really neat. That's, that's a really neat program. It's really important. Um, you know, one of the things we want to do with this show to all of our listeners is that we want to bring something different um, to the to the NBA podcasting sphere. And, you know, these are the sorts of things that I think present something different um, inside the NBA as opposed to just talk about what's happening in it. So um, any anything else in, in Orlando that you want to touch on? You know, any of the other finer points that, uh, you know, the or any like your favorite moment from being down there? Uh, I had so many fun moments, man, but I think the best was to see the kids uh, when they thought they were going to lose, they come back and win and to see the excitement and how they cheer for each other. That was something that was gratifying to me. I got to see them actually say, you know what? I believe in what coach and the counselors are saying to me and it shows the results. So those are the moments that I really, you know, truly be appreciative of. They really stuck through it. It was great. That's fantastic. That is, that is awesome. DA that, that is great. Um, that's a good capper on this extra long edition of the believe in Cavs podcast. We had a lot to cover, um, but we thank you all for sticking with us. Uh, we went through a lot. Uh, the draft happened, free agency happened um, and free agency is still happening. And I'm sure that when this gets posted and is sent out, you know, Durant will get, traded Kyrie Irving will get traded and everything will be moot and we'll have to uh we'll have to come back and talk about it all over again the Cavs will be involved in some way and you know that's just how that's just how things things are they'll just move fast um but we thank you for sticking through a very long uh edition of the podcast we look forward to bringing forth hopefully our summer league edition because you're going to be at summer league right yeah I'm headed there uh, in a couple days I'll be there for uh, a whole week and checking out all the rookies out that is awesome that is that, that is really cool well we are looking forward to uh your report on the on all of the rookies um because you get a lot of undrafted guys too you get a lot of you get a lot of guys mm-hmm. who are trying to you know find their way onto a roster um it's not yep. it's not just the heavy hitters well hopefully 
you'll be able to do a pod from your hotel in Las Vegas to escape the opposite of Orlando heat, which is the driest heat known to humankind. Um, yeah, right. To give us a bit of a breakdown of uh, everything that you're seeing at Summer League. Right. Yes, sir. We're looking forward to it. Looking forward to it. Okay. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of the Believe in Cavs podcast. I want to thank my co-host, Derek Anderson, for once again joining me. And I want to thank all of you for listening to us here in the early onset of this podcast, only on, on episode two, but we will keep growing. We hope that you keep growing with us. So thank you all very much for listening. We will see you all next time. Things that